Come on up in the studio and have a seat on the throne. My name is King Charles. And I'm Carla Dulane. Okay, okay, you'll get used to it. <laughs> and this beautiful young lady is? I'm Yvette Christie. We're in here. We're about to give you the throne. You're going to sit down, grab your tea, grab your bottle of water, grab whatever you drink. Don't drink too early now. Don't get, don't, don't get to drinking the wine too early now in the day. But you know what I'm saying? If that's what you want to do, that's cool, too. Come on in there, Natalie. Come on in here, you yeah, know what I'm saying? Is. You know, I'm going to put her on blast, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you got to you got to hey, hey. So what we're going to do, we're going to give it to you right here on Fishbowl Studios. Fishbowl Studios is um, broadcasting all over the world. We got 6.2, I think, uh, impressions and growing a month. You know, is, is that a month low? That's a month, you yes, know what I'm saying, yes. and growing. Yes. So, you know, um, you, I want to welcome you in out there on the live as far as the social media. You know, we are audio, we are radio first. So, you know, um, you might see some things, how we do it, the maneuver in the studio from watching us and everything that don't make sense. But don't worry, we're going to send a message. Okay, we got somebody new in the studio today. What I want you to do is introduce yourself to everybody out there in the radio world. Hey, good morning. My name is Yvette Christie. I am a resident here in Fort Worth, Texas. I am a full-time student working on a doctoral degree, a mother. Um, I'm also in recovery okay. and uh, just out here trying to live my best life. I am living my yeah. best life. Come on now. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah, that's that what shit. I'm doing. Own that shit. That's guy. what I'm doing. That shit. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So tell me, uh, you um, through the pre um, pre conversation we were having um, before the show, you mentioned something about a book. Yes. Well, you have you have a potential million people listening to you. Tell them yes. about your book. Um, so my book is on its way. It is complete and on I'll its be, way. Wait a minute. It's on its way. No, I'll be I'll be I'm, I'm getting in the studio in January to record it for Audible. Um, it's called Whore, a okay. sex worker's journey, um, and. Um, in that title, I break down why it is that women often are considered whores or unholy when they live a certain lifestyle. And so um, I don't use that, I don't uh, use that term sensationally. I'm using it to bring awareness to the injustice or the inequity of, you know, sexuality between, you know, men and women, which is my frame of reference. Um, and so, yes, uh, I spent 18 years as a prostitute. Um, and that came out of when doing... When you say 18 years, you know what I'm saying? It's like you was counting, you know? Well, I look at when I first hit the street and when I, and when I exited. Uh -huh. And so on and off, I wasn't out there the whole 18 years, but um, every year I was out there in some capacity. Uh -huh. And, uh, and what that was driving you? Was it drugs driving you? It was drugs. My, mm. I started getting high with my mother when I was wow. nine. What? When I was yeah. nine, yes. Um, and it was, I have to say, it was a welcomed relief. I was being, you know, sexually assaulted by a sibling mm. in the home. And so when my mother handed me that joint, mm. I was off it and was running. An it was an escape. And I tell people often that my trauma and my addiction grew up together. And I think that's why the addiction uh, took me so long to overcome. Yeah. Um, and in, in that, uh, I also gave birth to the son of my trafficker. Uh, in 2003 and I left the streets in 2008 and uh, I came back to Fort Worth to get this degree but also to do the work of um, being an advocate for other women and girls like me now there are other people that nice. are trafficked you know there's our queer siblings our trans siblings uh, you know everyone is um, open the vulnerable are open to be exploited 
Um, but my particular lived experience is more aligned with with just with women right. um, and so that's what I do now I speak to agencies direct care service providers um, about what ethical advocacy looks like and uh, how we have to be culturally competent yes. and then um, so that's that's what I'm doing right now. Wow, that's yeah. that's amazing, you know. Right, that's Heavy. amazing. So look for my book on Audible in about three months. About three months. <laughs> okay. What's it called? It's Horror, a sex worker's journey. Um, but tell me, the spelling is not. It's not W H O R E. It's the grammatical, like backslash H O R backslash. Oh wow. You know what I mean. The pronunciation, the phonetics. Yeah, the of pronunciation it. of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, saying what you see in the dictionary. Yeah. Are you, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the actual yeah. pronunciation. Natalie, what's up? Hey. Talk to me. What's going on with Ooh, you? Y'all could have told me it was raining, pouring cats <laughs> and dogs <laughs> and birds. Goodness gracious. Oh. I was like, oh, I'm going back to Arlington. It's not <laughs> um, but yeah, same old same. Same old same. Just wrapped the open mic for this year. It was awesome. We'll be starting back up in January sometime. And books, body butters, counseling, interns, all, all the things. Y'all know nice. I got 57 businesses. <laughs> 57 business. Right, that's good. That's good. Carla, what's happening? Hey, how's everybody doing out there? I'm excited today as always. Tell us what's going on. Anything new? Well, you know, I'm excited about the survey we did. Um, and I'm looking forward to meeting with Yvette and um, her co-workers. I don't want to give out too much information, mm -hmm. but I'm meeting with Yvette on us, you know, getting that panel and that case-by-case -case questions done in January sometime. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to this meeting and, you know, being open about what we're bringing to the table. So for 2023. So yeah, I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited. On today's show, what I want to do, and uh, I had a direction that I was going, but I believe in the energy that you know, I get from the people that I'm around, you know, and sometimes, you know, I have to get out of my own way to get a direct message and an authentic, true message across. So I just step to the side and let God work, and, you know, and I'm going to go ahead and just drop it on the table. I'm going to talk about addiction today. I'm going to kick it off talking about addiction. Well, we're going to talk about R. Kelly ass later on, though. But uh, right now, we're going to talk about addiction. <laughs> <coughs> and I don't want to generalize and stay in one direction, you know what I'm saying, of saying addiction or drugs, because I found out, you know what I'm saying, in my journey that um, um, the drugs that held me back so long in my life was just really one of the symptoms of my biggest problems, you know what I'm saying, and I found out that my biggest problem was me. You know, and I also found out in my journey as far as being free from that is that I can get caught up and addicted to other things, mm -hmm. things that you can't even see. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or not? Or sometimes what you can see, it could be people's, it could be dysfunction, yes. it could be trauma, yes. it could be a lot of things. So I want to drop right there, and I want to drop this addiction piece right on there. And we're gonna start off with the counselor. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you said all the things right there. Um, addiction is such a prevalent thing in our society. Mm -hmm. It's still taboo. I don't even understand how because it's been around since the beginning of time, but yes. it's still taboo to a certain extent. It is um, destroying lives and families and all of that. Um, but like you said, addiction isn't specific to alcohol. We used to just think alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. Alcoholics. Everybody's grandpa's grandpa, grandpa mm -hmm. was alcoholic, right? But 
so many addictions, like you said, sex, love, people, trauma, food, food, That's where I was food. You can say that three more times. <laughs> so many things, habits, just different things, and um, love, um, acceptance, acceptance, mm. all the things. People really, anything reason. that has you know control, uh, yes. a, a negative attachment and control of you, we can consider that an addiction if it is showing up, um, you know, negatively impeding your life. So. I think it's a really important topic that probably has touched everybody in some way, some way or another. Form, yeah. um, that we just really don't shy away from. Okay, you you brought up uh, 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 the attachment piece. You know what I'm saying? So so come on, talk to me about that and tell me how 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 does attachment play in the role of addiction? Well, you know, me personally, you know, growing up without acceptance and you know always being shunned. You know, it was something that I sought after when I did become a teenager or an adult. You know, it was something that I really yearned for it. And that, I think that's where addiction starts. It's a yearning for something that you feel like you don't have in your life already. So, you know, it was a yearning for acceptance. So I found myself getting caught up in relationships and staying in relationships because I'm fighting for that acceptance, you know, and it's a drug because it was almost like a, a drug because I wanted it so bad and you would show me a little bit and I would yearn continuously yearn for mm. more of it, you know, and I, I was expecting it to get greater and greater and yeah, you put your hands on me so that looked like non-acceptance, so let me fight for more of your acceptance, you mm -hmm. know, so I stayed in the relationship for so long because I was addicted to that acceptance, and it wasn't just from the man, it rolled over into church, because mm. once I left him, now I'm still yearning for acceptance, and I'm looking for my identity, so I'm going to go to the church, and I'm not blaming people but I'm looking at myself, you know, and because that yearning was still there, now I have to find it in somebody that no, is not putting their hands on me, but they're showing me that attention that I'm, I'm longing for. So I'm caught up again, you know. Mm, wow, wow. So how, how, um, how do you, what different ways do you see um, addiction crawling in, you know what I'm saying? You said you're in uh, recovery, mm -hmm. but you know, and I'm, I'm familiar with that, you know what I'm saying? It's, anonymity is definitely uh, 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 prevalent, and I, and I know you understand that also. Yeah. But in that, how, in what type of different ways that you found yourself caught in the grips of something that is leading your life to be mismanaged and you know what I'm saying unmanageable you know what type of things you run into in that case I, for me it's um, unresolved unresolved trauma uh, is what fed my addiction um, because I wasn't really given the coping mechanisms to deal with my trauma and it was easier to just settle into what I'd already known which is just get high and not deal with the trauma and then it becomes uh, it becomes criminal behavior, and so then I'm pulled into systems, and then I want to use more because now I'm in trouble. It was just my trauma, unresolved trauma, was the basis for why um, I, I continue to deal with my addiction and, and, and allow it to mismanage my life. Um, 
And I didn't get free until I stopped uh, blaming. You know, <laughs> yes, my mother, well, my mother did give me drugs at nine, right? Mm -hmm. And I did have sexual trauma from six until nine and a half, ten years old. Mm -hmm. And so there was a legitimate reason why it settled in my bones. Um, but there came a time when I had to say, um, my mother made her mistake, but I'm perpetuating that mistake um, by allowing this addiction to have its way with my life. And, uh, you know, God, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that, well, your addiction is very much anchored in your trauma. So until you do that hard work of going back and excavating those things that that did you so much harm, your addiction will have room to breathe in you because you're not cutting off the, the source of energy or the source of power that it's feeding on. Um, and so... Um, for me, that became urgent when I had kids. It became urgent when I was looking at criminal charge. When I was looking at time, mm. uh, I was like, <laughs> "I know we got to do something." Um, something I've got a question. Looking back now, you said that you were in that industry for 18 years, and you you mentioned prostitution. You also mis mentioned sex trafficking. I don't know if your experience with one, was one or both or combination or what have you. But looking back, do you feel like there was ever a point in time where you realized? you were actually addicted to sex or prostitution like that became an addiction as well? Honestly, I don't think so. Uh, it, it was also violent. You know what I'm saying? It was as a street prostitute, a crackhead, there was no grace in that. It wasn't like I got to settle down into a vacant trap room and enjoy the sexual exchange or in the backseat of a truck in front of a Kroger's. There was never any ease in it. Um, I did get excited about the about the street game. I don't I don't you know I don't know how to. There's a freedom to it and a and a spontaneity to it. Obviously, I enjoyed the high, but never the sexual piece. It often ended. It was always disrespectful, and it was always violent. Uh, whether it was physical violence or how it was being handled, um, and then when I think about all that I internalized, that my body is ugly, I'm unholy, I'm unclean, um, I'm not worth any love. So the act for me of prostitution or commercial sexual exploitation is what houses all of it. So if you're talking about being trafficked or prostitution, the overarching term is commercial sexual exploitation. And so for me, there was never any, um, I never settled into enjoying that. Um, and even now, I'm in therapy um, because it's difficult to be in an intimate relationship. Um, I'm hypersensitive, I'm paying attention. You can't talk to me any kind of way in that space. You can't handle me any kind of way in that space. Uh, you know, so I'm still dealing with the, the, the residuals. Was there ever anyone in your life, family member, friend, loved one that tried to help you out of that? Yes. Um, but you know what, Natalie, right? Mm -hmm. You know what came up for me was often it, it came out of a very harsh religious approach. And so, you know, I'm trying to help you. I love you. But God is so angry and disappointed in you. And, and uh, you know, uh, even on the block, it was the old church women, the old church mothers that would look at me with such disdain. I write about it in my, in my memoir, how they would you know, come by the corner store and there'd be women out there 
And um, they would look at us like, like disgusted. And I, it grieved me because they didn't know what happened to me when I was six. They didn't know that my mother got high with me for years and thought that was fun, it was okay. They had no idea where, where it began. But that's what we do, right? We judge the stereotype, we judge the, the unholy woman, we judge the body, we judge hypersexuality. Um, and so it was like hugging me and stabbing me all at the same time. Wow. You know, uh, wow. you say you love me, but you won't give me anything to eat. Come on now. Come you on say now. that you, you, you're, and they used to walk right across the church, right, right across the street to the church. We watched them walk over there, but you done, you done dogged me out with your eyes on your way to church. And I knew for a fact that some of my dealers went to that church, but they took their money. And so I talk about community complicity. You know, we look down on the woman who's out here, but we never ask her what her story is. And then as long as he got a bag, uh, mm. He's welcomed into the fellowship. Wow. Mm. So that's more than what you asked for, but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's that good. That is good. You know, I, yeah. I, I want to chime in on that because I've heard a lot of good stuff. Um, for me, um, I didn't know what I needed to do. It was, I just knew I needed to do something. Mm. And somewhere down the line, when I was getting a nudge from the judge and going into those those places like <laughs> AANA and this and that, CA, you know, uh -huh. in California, Cal Cocaine Anonymous and everything like that, I was going in there getting a paper signed because I had to do that for parole or whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. But somewhere down the line, I heard something in one of those meetings that I was forced to go to. So therefore, when I was ready to make a change, you know what I'm saying, when I was at my rock bottom, I knew where to go. And when I went in there, I was so spiritually bankrupt mm -hmm. that I was ready to be receptive to any kind of information because I just left the joint where I just retained a whole bunch of information, whether it be from the library or my academic degree or whatever that I obtained in prison or just, you know what I'm saying, chopping it up with the sharper brothers in there, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. whether it be it in the church or in the library, the law library, you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I changed my, my people, places, and things mm -hmm. even when I was in prison because I went in there, you know what I'm saying, I was, I was, I was in, still involved in the gang violence. In gang activity, but I put that down. It's like I put playing dominoes and different things like that, and then and, and Paul A's and different stealing cheese out the damn you know kitchen and shit, you know. So all that shit I had to put down. Uh -huh. Yeah. But in the process of doing all of that, you know, I celebrate today nine years of being clean. Period. Congratulations. And out of all doing that, I found that. My drug addiction was in place, but it was a symptom of what was really going on mm -hmm. with me. And what I found out when I did walk into a 12-step program is that I was my biggest problem. Yeah. I was arrested in my development. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to hurt. I didn't want to feel none of the pain that I suffered as a child, mm -hmm. yeah. whether it be being taunted for my skin tone or whether it be, you know what I'm saying, something else, something different, or whatever the case may be. I covered that up with drugs, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't even tell you or even find out who gave me my first drug. I know my mama let me sip Coke 45 in my bottle when I was a baby. So, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if that was it or whatever the case may be. But in the 
process and I am in the process, I find out that I can get caught up because real life happens and pain still arrives. Different things happen in your life. You know what I'm saying? People pass away. You know what I'm saying? Friendships end. Relationships end. And those things are very, very painful. And see, if I don't pay attention and stay diligent, and stay, stay centered in my spirituality and stay out of God's way, I can get caught up doing something else. Yeah. See, I can, I can, you know, I'm clean today. I'm a square today. So, you know what I'm saying? I know how to maneuver, too. So, you know, I'm still about them streets. So I know I know the manipulation and tribulation. I can fall right up in there. You know what I'm saying? I Try, know, you know Yeah, I can get up, get caught up in all that shit. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. not only that, and what I'm doing is trying to cover up the pain that I need to address right now, and see what I'm doing. And also, and that's just not even using the information that's given to me. It's tools. It's tools. I need to know how to reach out and get some tools. And then if I get empty, talk to my God. Reach out to somebody else. Because if I don't, I'm going to use somebody else. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to pull one of these credit cards out of my pocket. You know what I'm saying? They got a three or $4,000 limit on it. You know what I'm saying? And it just, in my mind, I should just spend $3,000. Yeah. But I know that that's not economically right for me because, you know what I'm saying, I'm a responsible man today. Right. But I can do that to make me feel good at that moment because I just right. don't want to feel bad, right. man, you know. And it's, it's self-awareness, you know what I'm saying? You listening, it's almost like with the the drug addiction or whatever, or even food addiction, you're listening to the craving that's going on in, inside of you and you're denying it, the access to that, you know, with what the tools that say, no, I'm better than that now. I'm not that person anymore, you know. So just denying that, that craving for yeah. acceptance, even for acceptance with me. If I hear <laughs> someone try to make me higher than what I truly am, you know, that's an, that, that used to pull me in. You, mm. you feed me, you love bombing me. Mm. That used to that used to grab me, but now it does not. You know, I'm I'm at least I'm fight I'm I'm clean now. I'm fighting that addiction. You know, because yes, we do all want to be loved. You know, yeah. and want to be accepted. But sometimes the wrong person can give you what you're yearning for, and you can get caught up again. Right. With we, the wrong person and that's just not where I'm trying to go. Right, because somebody so, can slide up they slide up to you, you know what I'm saying, as a dressed up garbage can. Sound good, right. look good and everything. And what I've learned now is that you can't tell me what I don't already know. You know what I'm saying? I have I've I've gained that confidence in myself where I'm encouraging Carla every day. So you can't tell me something that I don't already know and it hasn't been confirmed. So how do you how do you fulfill because acceptance that's an inherent need that we all have. So how do you fulfill the need healthier now? Because you're clean, you're sober from uh -huh. from the negative addiction of you know what acceptance turned into for you. So now now what does it look like for you? Self acceptance. Oh, okay. It's you know Period. validating Carla. You know giving Carla the encouragement. You know, saying go Carla this, you know, gold star for Carla for this, you know, we should <laughs> celebrating Carla. Like yeah, Back to kindergarten. I was the one that was blamed for everything. I was the one, it's your fault that this, you know, I got pregnant and had you at this. Age. It was my fault. 
So now, you know, that verbiage and that articulation is changing, you know? How did you learn that or like, how did you get to that spot where one, you recognized, ooh, this, the way that I'm going about this, even though it comes from an inherent natural mm -hmm. desire, urge, it's not healthy, and this is what's healthy, right? Like, what, what bridged the gap? I think once I dis, just decided to leave church and realized that I was still hurting, that I was still going home searching for a healing, you know, and I decided to just break away from church, break away from the titles that I had been given, you know, those things that, again, validated me. You know, once I broke away and I just got away and I started to really see God for myself and build a relationship with God, you know, is where I, I finally started to feel better, you know, mentally and emotionally. I, I, I started to feel and experience an unconditional love that didn't give me a title. It said I'm already accepting, you know. That love says I'm already fulfilled, that I don't have to look outside of myself for that fulfillment, right. you know. So it was just the, the final breaking away from church and, you know, leaving the husband for nine years that abused me physically and going right into church, I realized the people weren't the problem. It was me that was the problem. Right. Right, you, and, and, and you, you, Natalie, you, you're, you're here and you're listening, and um, you know I don't, I, I, I don't. I'm assuming because you never speak about it, you know, saying you never went down the road of you know drug addiction or anything like that, you know. Well, I spoke on it a little bit. Huh? After my son died, I, I drank like I had a flask in my purse 24/7. Stopping on train tracks, drinking it. As soon as I got off work. Drink, 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 because I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep more than about an hour, 45 minutes. So it, it might have only been six months to a year, but that was enough. And this is after this your was, son yeah, son passed was, away? Yeah, after my son died. So you were, you were doing that to cover up? I was doing that because it, not doing it felt excruciating, and um, I wanted to sleep. I felt I was just out of my mind, and um, any all the... the healthy coping skills that I knew of that's because I was already a licensed counselor being a Christian person saved mm -hmm. since I was eight years old it wasn't enough mm -hmm. I was dying and I didn't want to feel like I was dying mm -hmm. anymore and yeah. so a little honey proof southern comfort All right. helped you feel like you're not dying as much because at least you could be sleeping a little how bit. did you overcome that um so for me it was spiritual so I um I and I wrote about this in I wrote a poem about this. It's going to be one of the next books. I had an experience one time. I used to, whew, my uh, my train track of choice was right there off of Division in Bowen. That's mm. my train track. That's where I would stop at um, often, regularly. And one time, uh, the conductor was like, eh, you know, get get off, get off. And I, you know, what have you. But I wasn't getting out. I would just, that was my drinking spot. One, well, then I would drink everywhere. So mm -hmm. after a few experiences, um, the last experience that I had on that train track, the, the, the train was close, like closer than I'd ever seen a train be close, but the, the arms weren't coming down on the little guard arms. Wow. And I'm stuck, and he is like honking, you know, pulling this, and I talking to God, and I'm like, look, mm -hmm. I'm gonna do this. Like, I, 
I know I'm your daughter. I've been in your camp for all this time. I'm one of your strong. But if you don't do something, like if you don't send me a sign, I am going to end this. Like this, this is going to be it. Mm. That was a Friday. Um, the, the Monday that I went on that train track, I don't know, I don't even think I had my flask that day for some reason. There was a sign, a new sign, you know, the do not stop on track signs. Mm -hmm. It was one of those, but it had the blinking lights around it, like not just the reflector lights. And I'd never seen a sign like that before. And it scared me. Um, and it confirmed to me, God saying to me, get your butt off this train track, like do not stop. And I never drank again, never went back to the train, just, I, that was so that so how I did it I, I don't know it was outside it was a spiritual he did thing it. it was outside of me yeah, yeah. he did yeah, it he did it he pulled me off that um, um, in, 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 a, in addiction in um in your in street life that you um that you went through um in addiction in the industry life that you went through tell us about and share with us about the times that you were faced with the thought of suicide? Um, so I only ever had the thought of suicide one time and I was serious. And Not successful, but serious. I was serious because yeah. I had failed my children. You know, I despised my mother for what she did to me. I didn't understand how you could be an addict and hurt your kids. Like, I felt like she didn't love me, but it wasn't until I did it to my children <laughs> that I came to understand that you can love someone so much and this thing be so big that it untethers you from, you know, my, my maternal instincts. Um, and so it was another, another year, another relapse. I had three children, I had a six month old and I was gone. And my kids were in the system and they were with their father and it was just I went to another rehabilitation center and I and I wanted to get into the home I get into a, into recovery and the lady was so condescending and I was just so tired of the struggle you know what I mean I was tired like I dragged my I didn't take care of my children then I'd be okay for six months then I'd be back out then I'd be all right for a month then I'd be back out and my kids were coming to see me in jail they were coming to see me in rehab and their little eyes, you know what I'm saying? Wow. When your children, when a child's heart is broken um, and they don't understand why you're not at home. Um, and I sat at that woman's, that representative's desk and I said to her, I just don't wanna be here anymore. Um, you know, when it starts at the age of six and you don't see any, Change. you don't see it getting any better. Yeah. Um, my, my soul was fatigued, yeah. I was tired. And I figured it was just better to be up out of here yeah. and then my kids could be stabilized with people that would be consistent with them. Yeah. And so that was the only time that I really had the thought um, that I wanted to be up out of here. Wow. That's great. What we're going to do, we're going to take a break right quick and listen to our family of sponsors. We want to um, thank everybody for um, joining us here. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. 1.7 seconds. That is the amount of time that you have to capture consumers' attention. It's no wonder small business owners cite marketing as their number one business challenge. That is, until now, Marvin Cashaw, CEO from The Next Generation's Marketing, can offer you the ability to advertise with ease to the consumers in your area at the right place and with the right offer. The virtual marketing gym gives you the capability to turn your cell phone into a powerful virtual billboard. So, 
How does it work? Just download a provided app, create your custom advertisement with a few clicks, and start broadcasting from your phone's location or any location anywhere in the world. Your app will begin to broadcast to the most popular apps and websites, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Google, and more. With guaranteed results, easy setup, and low monthly fees, advertising has never been easier or more effective for small business owners. This is digital marketing made easy. This is revolutionary. This is the next generation's marketing. For more information, call 682-422-9225. That's 682-422-9225. Or visit thenextgenerationsmarketing.com. Hey y'all, it's Natalie Wilborn, published author, licensed professional counselor, and host of Freedom of Speech Sunday's Open Mic. I wanted to tell y'all a little bit about some of the things that I have going on. I wrote this incredible book, Counselor's Poetic Guide Through the Grief Journey, that is going to help you get through any death, loss, or grieving experience. You can find it on my website, www.wedohealingthings.com. You can also find more information there about events, body butters, and Freedom of Speech Sunday's Open Mic. Again, the website is www www.wedohealingthings.com Your site for all of your mental health and emotional health needs. That's www.wedohealingthings.com to fitness. You thought it was just a fad? Nope, it's a movement. Constantly working to encourage confidence no matter your journey. So Mishonda Amy, owner and founder of Restored to Fitness, has come out with the Waist Censure Trainer, an all-new body shaper made with three rows of sculpting. Yes, three rows of sculpting to target the upper, middle, and lower trouble areas. And we're not stopping at 6X like most competitors. With Shonda Amy being a certified ab and core specialist, all sizes matter at Restored to Fitness. So you can get your own waist center trainer from a small to 12X. You heard it right. If your goal is to do something about your waistline, then the center is your solution. Never before has there been a waist trainer that goes from size small to 12X until now. Because Restore to Fitness works with real measurements and real sizes from real people. And fellas, you don't have to feel left out on this one. The waist center trainer from Restore to Fitness is excellent for back support, stomach control, and the tight compression can also assist with physical training. Experience the Waist Center Trainer from Restored to Fitness and start reaching your body goals today. Contact Restored to Fitness at 817-726-2468. That's Restored, the number two, fitness at 817-726-2468. Restored to Fitness. Welcome back to the throne. I'm King Charles. We up in here. We're going to talk about it. It's Real Talk Radio. Uh, we're Right now, we're um, skipping around addition, and we're talking around and communicating on that. And in the first segment, there was um, a couple of similarities. You know, send me and the queen, you know, we got some similarities. But then again, you know, um, Carla and Natalie brought in a whole nother different look you know what i'm saying carlos is more uh on um emotional and personality type of thing their construction uh and, and and natalie's was just on a severe pain you know what i'm saying all of a sudden you know drop it right in your lap pain deal with this right now and the only way that she can deal with that was you know what i'm saying to cover it up you know okay. she just didn't want to feel that pain and she covered it up but it was a point to her life that, you know, um, and I firmly, firmly believe that, that, you know, God stepped in and, you know, 
and gave her a bank shot, you know, yeah. gave her an option, you know, and she took that option because I can relate to that, you know, God stepping in uh, uh, um, to life, period, because God stepped into my life many times because I've been faced with death many times, you know, I've been shot, you know, and I've been uh, double barrel shotguns been pulled and put right up under my chin and everything like that and I survived. It's a whole bunch of shit I can sit up here and tell you about, you know, but I survived it and he's kept me through it all. Not only that, even in the nine years that I've been clean and living differently, you know, I've suffered a triple bypass, you know what I'm saying? Surgery, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, uh, now I suffer with heart disease for the rest of my life, but I eat accordingly. I know that, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I you gotta put, participate. I, gotta participate. I'm gonna mind somebody way. today. <laughs> no, I'm gonna mind right. my heart today. That's right. Yeah. She's scaring us all the time. It was all. <laughs> it was all to cover up pain. You know. Mm -hmm. So, how does we as people who have overcome pain and see it through a different pair of glasses? How do we look and view at love relationships now? Because apparently, like, say for instance, in our story. You know, and even in uh, uh, Carla's story, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it was dysfunctional in the past. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I can't say that about you because, you know what I'm saying, it's, it's a different circumstance, you know. But how does it look now, you know what I'm saying, why while we're trying to be functional and, and uh, productive members of society or whatever the case may be, and we approach relationships, a actually approach a lot of first, you know what I'm saying? Because now it's different. And how do you set in that right now? How do you set in a love relationship? Or what are your expectations in a love relationship now that you got some information? Man, I, I'm telling you, like, I'm not even driven that direction right now because the love of God has just overtaken me. And that experience to me just won't, I just want to bask in it. Because I've sought human love for so long and human acceptance for so long to finally get what, and, and it can't even be really described with words, but to experience something where, you know, it can't be compared or I don't, I don't, at this point, I don't think there's a human being out there that can give me what I've experienced with God. I yeah. just... I just a relationship right now is just like I'm far from that. Wow, good. Okay. Now well, you're you're a married woman. Yes, and, um, I am. <laughs> and I have an answer. <laughs> I have an opinion on this. You you're a married woman. So how how does now um, the information that you have and your relationship and your marriage or whatever the case may be and it's new because it's new. So how, did, how does it translate to you? Yeah, so you said how do you settle into it settle with, into with all it. of this stuff and experiences with, tra uh, with trauma and, and addiction. And mm -hmm. I, have, I have multiple uh, severe heart wounds outside of the death loss of my son and emotional traumas and stuff. So, but you, I settle into it with a lot of work, like so yes. much work. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that marriage has to be hard but I do believe that everybody has to be hardworking in order for it to settle in, especially because everybody's gonna come with their stuff. Mm -hmm. um, my husband, maybe a year and a half or so before we met, um, his uncle, who was pretty much his father figure, he didn't grow up with his father close into his life, died. Mm -hmm. All right, so we got these two heavy grief loss experiences, and that's just everybody in my life almost has died. 
Um, I was born, my mom might not like me to say this, but because it's her business, but I'm going to say it. I was born um, to a, a grieving mother. My mom, when she was pregnant with me, her older sister, who was like two years older than her, she was pregnant at the same time. She died in a car accident. Mm. So I was born into grief, yeah. and we've had countless mm. death losses in our family. Our, we we kind of joke like, we have a, we're the grief family. Like, grief is just our thing. It's just what we do. Um, and so how does how does that you know, how does that, how do you settle into a relationship, a marriage? For me, the only way that I've been able to do it successfully this go around, because y'all know this is my second marriage, mm -hmm. is with a lot of work and with a person who is on the same page too, with doing doing the work. Um, me personally, with, with my experience with the death loss of my son and then what that spiraled into and the experiences with, you know, alcohol abuse, and I don't know that I can even say addiction, but abuse, um, it wasn't understood or tended to in my previous marriage in a healthy way. Mm. Um, it was like, look, I don't know what to say about that, but I mean, at this point, just be happy now. And I was mm -hmm. like, mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and so now that I, I'm connected to somebody who mm. has an experience, also, um, I don't know that he has had any kind of alcohol struggles or substance but has his own not that I know of like that but has had his own struggles with addictive things um, porn is addictive all the things I wasn't saying women, husband women are <laughs> women are <laughs> sex sex King uh, all all things. there are so many other things <laughs> that are addictive um, but because he has you know he has trauma experiences he has you know severe emotional wound experiences he has experience with going to therapy and, and, and facing himself and saying ooh okay I have some stuff to work with um, he's he, you know he's empathetic he's understanding and that that's mutual um, but it's a it takes a lot of work consistent yeah. always every day every minute yeah yeah so so how does it how does relationships show up as first and in, in your journey, you know what I'm saying, is living life on life's term because, you know, like I said before, you know, we, we approach things as first in our journey. Yeah. And how is it showing up and how are you showing up in those? I agree with Natalie. Like, it's a lot of work. I'm not searching right now. I do have someone that I'm, I'm dealing with, but I wouldn't say it's a relationship. Did, oh, okay. I was, um, okay. It's a situation. What is, what is it? <laughs> So it's a situation ship. It's a situation ship. So a situation ship to me means you know what I'm saying that y'all 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 familiar with each other and everything like that. You know what I'm saying and y'all do your thing. You know what I'm yeah. saying. You, you know. What I'm saying. Um, I think, and something that Natalie said really uh, quickened something in me is, I try to always approach with trust because a part of my lived experience has me distrustful. And so I do that work of like, okay, I'm going to give this person, I'm going to open my heart and be vulnerable to accept this. I'm not going to project onto it or, or minimize it based on what I've been through. But what I often get from men is, oh, I don't care nothing about your past. I gotta, well, to say that to someone that has a story like mine is, is minimizing, it's dismissive. And especially when it comes to intimacy I just told like I was molested by siblings I was on the streets 18 mm -hmm. years or so mm -hmm. so when I talk about intimacy or try to go deep and have a conversation to do that work um, and I told Carla last week I can't be mad about who I'm drawing mm -hmm. and I can't complain about what I tolerate mm -hmm. 
And so the work mm. for me is um, being willing to let it go when it's not showing up with the same level of intensity or intentionality mm. as what I'm giving. Now, I'm telling you, I need you to love me this way. And I've seen several memes that say you can't tell somebody how to love you. And I disagree Lies. with that. That's a lie. I know, but have you seen that? It says I can't yeah, tell I've you how that. to. I think um, uh, one of the, I'm not going to say her name. Anyway, I just think it's important that uh, because of what I've been through, I have to show up strong. Like I have to do the work because all my stuff will trickle out on someone else. Mm-hmm. And, and do more harm. Um, but if I'm a, if I meet um, if I meet a man because that's my preference and they're not willing to do the work with me, then I withdraw. Um, Preach and so it's a it's a lot of work. And you know I don't want to overgeneralize, but being the age that I am with the lived experience that I have, I don't meet a whole lot of men that are like emotionally um, uh, evo- available and evolving in that. Um, and then the thing about this is a lot of men don't realize in relationships, intimacy begins on our feet. Yeah. Yes. It begins in how you address me. It begins in how you listen and how I listen. It begins with all the things that seem like insignificant, but at the end of the day, they are the building blocks mm-hmm. to anything that's healthy. And so if we can't. So I'm working on a doctorate of ministry, and my and my my dissertation is a womanist critique of evangelical Christianity within the anti-sex trafficking movement. So I'm I'm talking about the church. Not necessarily. I was asking because I was wondering. I was wondering if church. it was going to be in some kind of like mental health. So, but you will be so good. You will be so good. I have yeah. mental health. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. But you I'm will like, be. Yeah, I am a because mm-hmm. I'm longing. Uh, I'm longing for a depth of love and intimacy that goes beyond you know sex and pillow talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've asked men, hey, let's read this book together. Girl, ain't nobody reading that book. Um, <laughs> I say let's let's you know, let's, <laughs> let's do you know let's do a picnic. Girl, don't, black people don't do picnics. Mm-hmm. Mm. I said, oh, they're having music on jazz on the green over at the Kimball. What's jazz on the green? Like, come on, <laughs> right. but then you want me to be sweating and stroking and pumping all in the thing, but I can't get nothing else from you. Um, so it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. What you mean, read a book? A book with pages. <laughs> So we can understand each other. Carly, you was about to say something. What were you about to say? I was just about to say, and what about the, you know, accusing you of overthinking because you got a conversation. You know, you have something to say, and I don't really want to talk about it because you overthinking. I think you're overthinking, you know, this. Yes. That's crazy. I Isn't say, that like a I, cop I love, out? I love to tell people like that. Maybe you're underthinking. <laughs> right. Maybe, yeah. maybe you, you might know. be underthinking yeah. just a touch. Yeah. Or they tell you too sensitive. Maybe you're not sensitive yeah. enough. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I, I can go to God with all my conversations, and He'd be listening. Him. Yeah. Yeah. How does the stigmatization? Uh, I hear it's not that deep. I, I see that. I, I noticed that um, you're you're open about your story, and I and I and I love that. You know, um, but how how does um, the stigmatization of being an addict or being a hoe, you know what I'm saying, a prostitute? How does that uh, affect you in life today? You know what I'm saying? Because I know that I, I have um, 
suffered some stigmatization on it. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And it's some areas like <laughs> filling out applications. We got this thing that, you know, anytime we fill out applications, they're going to ask that question. Yeah. Have you ever committed a felony? You know what I'm saying? I got like about 10 of them. So, you know, which one I'm going to put on there? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. there's still stigmatization. How do you deal with that today? I don't. My story is power. I don't even, I am not a victim. I don't carry any more shame behind that. I'm here. And so many of my, of the women I was on the streets with, run over by a car three times, stabbed and, you know, hit in the head with a cinder block, left behind a motel. I choose not to carry my, my story of adversity. And I choose not to carry it in any way that you can shame me. Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that's a lot of power to give someone when I have so much that I have to continually, perpetually work on. I don't have time for all the opinions at the at the table or in the. Um, and so once I metabolized my trauma, it became power. You see, I get to smiling because I have friends doing 25 to life, killed someone when they were high. I have women that are no longer here whose babies don't get to know their mothers. So I don't. I won't tolerate it. I dealt with that in the church. I won't tolerate it. Uh, you can say what you want to say about me, but I'm still going to go to sleep tonight. That's she right. Says, <laughs> she said stigma where? <laughs> right. Love no. it. Power. I love it. Love no. it. Love it. I, I, I suffered, um, I suffered um, some stigmatization as far as um, being, um, being in a life of crime, you know, mm -hmm. in uh, my past and uh, carrying um, the title of an ex-con and um, ex-felon and all that. You know, you get to the point where you fill out applications, not only just for a job, but for um, housing and, yeah. or anything, or even a grant or whatever. I don't know, you know, it's just yeah. a whole bunch. You have to get to that point. And then, not only that is, I found out that you're still judged no matter what. Even mm -hmm. in, when you finally meet some people and surround some good, healthy and wholesome people around you, you know, they still got that side eye, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying, looking at you, you know, and, and, and it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. So I trumped it, and what I trumped it is with my confidence. You know what I'm saying? Because mine is a story and it's a message. Yes. And I use it accordingly, you know. And and, and, and I, 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 I come to a point in my life, I got to be a zip damn fool. If I allow what other people think about me, yeah. about the moves I make in my life, move. Right. I'm moving for them, yeah. not for me. Right. What they think is making me move my feet a certain way. I can't live like that, man, because you know what I've done? I put some handcuffs right back on myself yeah. and set my ass back yeah, in the police right. car and, and transported <laughs> my ass back to jail. Right. And that exactly. instability, that instability, especially when you're in recovery. Mm -hmm. So if my identity is always shifting depending on my audience and who I'm keeping company mm -hmm. with, then I'm always at, I'm, I'm like you're my puppet master. People I please. can't give you that power. Paula said it, people please. And you know the world we live in now, comments, likes, mm -hmm. platforms, brands, People have something to say. So yeah. if I give them the power for their, their stereotypes and the tropes they put on me, if I, if I give them that power, then I've handcuffed, I've set myself back. I can't mm. give you that. Yeah. I, I mean, this resonates with me as well, even though, you know, one might not even really consider it. So I believe that there is stigma for, for folks that have dead kids, right? It's, mm. For me, my experience, at least in the first like five years, is that it, it felt like I had like social leprosy. Right, people don't know what to say or do. Because so, you lost a child. Right, because you. And so, it's so heavy, especially for 
people who have children, it's so heavy. They're like, mm -hmm. I can't even, I can't even imagine. And so I can't speak. I have no, I just leave you alone. Cause you know, so for me, it felt like, would I have the cooties? Like what was wrong right. with y'all? Like I'm right. still a person. People would share with me, oh, I didn't want to tell this to you or to, because I, I, you know, they, they were so sensitive, sensitive. to me, right? Yeah. But because of the stigma of like, oh, she's got to be crumbling. Uh -oh. <laughs> she, she's got to be about to crumble. She's got, you know, yeah. we don't want to. And so I had, because of, I'm like, this is a part of my experience, a humongous part of my experience. And not but, because I don't mean to invalidate that. And I'm a whole person. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a mature person. I'm an emotionally mm -hmm. intelligent person. I'm not some social leopard. You can, mm -hmm. you know, people would, for a long time, nobody wanted to talk to me about their kids or send me pictures of their, I'm like. They just ousted you out because of your They ousted you out because of your trauma. Like, I'm the same person I was five yeah. minutes ago. What? Yeah. Goodness gracious. And so there was a stigma not necessarily, you know, again, what you would consider with the, this negative connotation. I think it came from a, a, a good place of people wanting to be sensitive to me. But then it became like, oh, she is in this box, you know, this unique box that we can't. And um, so I had to fight through that by saying, again, tell, this is my story. I'm going to tell all the parts of my story the way that I want it to be. And my story is a story of triumph. It's not a story. Of, I didn't stop on the train tracks like that's not the end of it for me this is my story and that's helped me break through that that stigma I mean I've had to have some strong conversations with some folks like look um, yeah so maybe don't you know maybe don't shove in my face you know teeny tiny little babies and then you know that kind of thing but I'm, I don't do that to me don't don't put me in this box that says oh well because of her experience Mm -mm, don't do that to me. My experience is whole life, whole life experience. So wow. I, that yeah, yeah, resonates yeah. with me as well. We um we, we 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 covered a lot of ground on this topic, and I'm glad that we did. And uh, and uh, like I said, this was um this just came up, and uh, I wanted to talk about it. And um, I think um, my main purpose is to put a message out there that somebody that might be struggling or might have some questions that's has some similarity of our conversation, you know, and use that in um. And do better, um, but I do want to get into uh, something that's uh, out there, and this so I, 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 this whole R. Kelly thing. I want to drop that R. Kelly right now and um, find out from you guys. You know, I, I know you heard about it. Who hasn't heard about it? Me, Carly. You have y'all haven't heard about it. We just touched on a little bit when you walked out that he there's some music dropped or something. Yeah, he had a song that dropped. You know what I'm saying? And um, come to find out, he said that it's not him. And he didn't drop it. Yeah, so apparently yeah. there's supposed to be like a new album out, but it's it's like a bootleg album. It's not like him and his team. It's his songs, apparently. Right. But, you know, there's always unreleased music and some, yeah. some bootlegger or whomever put this album out. Right. Um, and so folks were, yeah. oh, folks were upset. Some folks were like, yes, you know, the best, more yeah. R. Kelly. I'm going to go listen to it right now. And some folks were like, are we serious? Like, are, are, yeah. so. Yeah. Does it sound like him, though? Yeah, I, I heard some of, I mean, you know. I think it's, it is yeah. him. It's just not, he wasn't behind the movement of the music coming out, I think. Right. That's what I understand. Yeah, he didn't, he, he wasn't the corporate behind it. But we don't know that. You know what I'm saying? You never know. You know, a pair of lips, a funky lips to say any damn thing. So, you know, we don't <laughs> know that. You know, I'm just being honest not because, regular. you know, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I, I don't have, I do have something against him. 
I'll be a lie if I say I don't. You know what I'm saying? And I don't I don't give a damn what society thinks. You know, I got uh um something against any man that you know what I'm saying that exploits uh, uh underage, you know, children, you know what I'm saying? And and then sometimes that contradicts me too because I'm so grounded in trying to look at my ancestors and my heritage, you know, and adapt my life to the ways of my heritage instead of the Western world, you know what I'm saying? Because that's my natural state. And um, in, in finding that, I'm contradicting myself because, you know, in, in, in my heritage, in my, the natural state, you know what I'm saying, a 14, 15-year-old girl is marriage material. And you know what I'm saying? She's of age, you know. And when she has her actually, literally, ministration, that that's uh, one of the signs of she's ready to marry. And anyway, but it's still hard to accept because of the intent behind it. It was trickeration. You know what I'm saying? It was manipulation. It was. You know, it wasn't something that was actually um, set up between families. It wasn't something it wasn't that was necessarily, you know what I'm saying, between two people that, you know what I'm saying, that has a conscious understanding of what um, we're about to do. Yeah. So, therefore, you put this glamour in front of these kids, and that's all they, our kids is looking for these days, so they're going to bite and then once they bite, you take them in there and you sexually have fun with them. So no, you're not my favorite person. I, so I you know, and, then, and they said alleged, but you know he's been convicted now. So yeah. you know, uh, it is what it is. But I think this ties right into he still what we've been jam, talking man. about, even with addiction. So we know that R. Kelly was raped by his sister, his mm-hmm. older sister, right? Mm-hmm. And the body is physical. Um, we can become addicted to trauma. We've all sat here right here and uh-huh. said, yeah, <coughs> addicted uh-huh. to trauma. And if we don't have the, if we don't get the, the tools, the resources, the understanding of how this is not healthy, even though this happened to you multiple times for years on end, this is not healthy. This is not the way. And so how am I supposed to just magically, and I'm not condoning, not excusing, right. go to yes. jail, do all your time. That's your disclaimer right there? Right. Yeah. <laughs> go to jail, do yeah. all your time, kills, yeah. all, all of that. Yeah. Um, and if we're really trying to move through this to a place of healing where this Correct. this kind of thing, you know, happens less, yes. then we have to have an understanding of, like, that we don't know if this was just some healthy person that just started to prey on. This probably started from trauma, yeah. right? Yeah. And then became an addictive lifestyle. I don't know a whole bunch about the industry, the music industry, the entertainment industry, but what I, what I believe to be true is that entitlement and feeling like you you should or you ought to have access to yeah. people, power. resources, power mm-hmm. because of your status, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's so many things that come in here, come into play Somebody here. gave you permission. Uh-huh. And it's like you said, it, it, you said for in some, in some of those okay. situations, it wasn't an agreed upon situation. Mm-hmm. And in some of them, it seemed like it wasn't agreed upon situations parents knew or whomever knew or some of the women were old enough to make their own decisions or what have you and so i think it's so convoluted there's so much going on here when we hear going back to the stigma thing when we hear ho prostitution pimp felon rapist molester we get all wound up and you know we have then we then we make these judgments which this stuff doesn't really help whether whether I'm making a judgment on somebody that's been in the street, I'm making a judgment on somebody that has a an ex, you know, a conviction of, of some kind of a felony, making a judgment on a, a mom that's buried a kid, whatever, it doesn't really help if we're trying to actually get people to be healthier. And so 
wrong is wrong is wrong is wrong and right well not but and we gotta we gotta look at all the contributing factors and the likelihood is that contributing factor to the whole r kelly debacle is trauma yeah okay. hurt people hurt people you know like now we've got young women who are dealing with that as a traumatic experience you know of what he done to them of what he did to them because of what allegedly happened to him. So it's just a constant cycle, a constant trickling down of trauma, you know? And yes, we're trying to get to a place of healing. Is anybody in there talking to our kid? I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Natalie, why don't you go? I, that, that's, that's not my calling. That is not <laughs> my calling. And, if, and people my are upset. But and if people are upset about this release of music, right? My thing, I I don't really get involved in stuff like that too much because the man is doing his time, and it's been it's known that he didn't put the music out. Now, if he was in prison making mu music and making money, I might have something to say because I think he needs to be quiet and just do his time. Um, his creative agency was forfeited when he decided to do some of the things he did. But people will get upset, even though they know he didn't release the music. It's like, just separate the two. The industry, whoever his label is, or whoever had those um, undisclosed tracks or whatever, chose to put out a bootleg album. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have anything to do, as long as he's still locked up and not making money off of it, mm -hmm. I really don't have a, a problem with it. And then for me, the deeper conversation about trauma is that we don't, in my experience, huge overgeneralization, but in the black community, we don't do that well. Mm -hmm. Like if, you know, I read a, an autobiography recently of a famous uh, young woman, of a, a woman, and she was sexually molested and the church told her, just be quiet, by one of the deacons. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like we just don't do that well. We'll, we know that Uncle Fred be rubbing little girls' legs on Christmas and Thanksgiving. We've been knowing that for 20 years. And all we can do is say, you know, Bethany, get from over there. You know, we won't charge Uncle Fred up. And so, like, we got to, yeah, before we get to R. Kelly, um, we have to really start talking about in churches and communities, rec centers, schools. In the home. In the home, like, let's talk about trauma. And um, I always say that uh, secrecy is what breeds dis-ease and dysfunction, mm -hmm. you know, and instead of shutting our children down or shutting our partners down or shutting our members of our community down, let's talk about these fetishes. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about these passions. Yes. And because and, and, if we ignore it, it's like getting a cancer diagnosis and just saying, I ain't going to do nothing about it. Like you can't be mad when death comes. You can't be mad when when, when people get exploited. Yeah, when young girls are getting exploited, and don't get me started on the industry that tells these young girls go shake a bag, go shake your ass and get a bag. So you got these 13, 14, 15 year olds internalizing this music, wanting to be like certain people, wanting to be. You see them twerking on the internet, and then when somebody comes up with a bag, they're open to exploitation. And there's no because we've been taught to. To shake your ass and get a bag. And like. there's no room for somebody to step in and say, hey, why is it that you um, got an attraction to this liquor? Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. What, what, what's wrong? Uncle Fred, why nobody, you keep rubbing on everybody's nobody, legs? Right, mm -hmm. Nobody stopped to ask that question. <laughs> nobody stopped to ask mm -hmm. this mother, why are you selling your daughter to? R. Kelly, yeah. You know, what's really going on? Yeah. Nobody stopped to ask the question because everybody's 
But we're upset about an album being re- we're upset <laughs> right. about an album being released, but not the root of right. what got right. this what got this conversation generated. What about, just, what about even holding the parents accountable, Carla? Right. You know everybody. what I'm saying? Everybody. What about everybody. that part? We're, we're <laughs> everybody. All we want school everybody school. was getting the bag. You know, yeah. I know we, I love we had dollar signs in our eyes. We yeah. we had the cash up cha-ching sound. You know, and that's it's not just girls. Um, so statistics if statistics haven't changed, three in five people will be sexually molested by the time they're 18 yeah. and that's across the board yeah. that's more than half of us oh, yeah, right yeah, yeah. boys and so that means that there are a lot of adults that have some kind of um, um, uh, what's the word fetish or desire towards young people if more than half young people will be molested yeah. by an adult person by the mm-hmm. time they're 18 why are we wow. not having this conversation? Right, right, wow. right. There's a lot of us, you yeah. know, maybe not us at this table, but there's a lot of us that have this, that yeah. have this, this, um, this draw towards young people. So we need to be having this conversation yeah. a lot. That's it, a, that is a very high called? statistic. Um, I don't have a uh, what. What? what? When you when you address something before it gets out of hand. Proactive? Yes. Preventative Preventative maintenance. We're reactive in this this country, at least. We're going to get another one. Preventative emotional maintenance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I yeah. like that. Yeah. Do we do we go into the prison to find the sex offender, or do we go ahead and try to scope him out now? Yeah. Do we go, go ahead everywhere. and watch the statistics? Okay. But how you do you identify a sex offender? Like, you know what I'm saying before, before they, they said, actually right. act on it. That's Carla. what I'm asking. We don't even yes, have to I'm because because family. we know that it's so prevalent. Let's just have the conversations yeah. in all the families, in all the churches, in all the schools, yeah. in all the prisons, and yeah. in, in everywhere. Let's just have the conversations because we know that it exists we don't have to know who it is we just know if yeah. this if more than half of us are being molested by the time we're 18 wow. there's people all over the place that are doing it and all yeah. this so, and all that so, so you say the number is more than half is it the population what do you mean the population more than half of the population yeah more than more than half of people mm-hmm. will be sexually molested by the time they're 18 yeah. Wow. I've had and some so, sexual trauma. Yeah. So you have to look at how many of the predators that has that's gonna do that work. Right. So that's why I'm saying since we, we already know that statistic and that statistic is not decreasing, then we just can assume that there's a lot of adult people that have that tendency towards young people. So let's just start because having a conversation. It happened to them. Maybe Oftentimes. it happened to them. They Oftentimes. saw it something yeah. for like, whatever reason. Yeah. The sibling that was coming in my bedroom mm-hmm. was um, had the babysitter had sex with them, mm-hmm. and that created an early, an early you know inclination yeah. towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was the youngest and the most vulnerable in the house. Yeah. And there you you know there you have it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but so one of the things we don't talk about, especially in the black church, you said, where are we going to start? So in the anti-trafficking work, you know, we can't go to middle school. We can only start, I mean, in elementary, we can only start like with middle schoolers having these hard conversations. Um, but then that's where churches should step in because that's a more of a personal, you, you went into that place. It doesn't have the same constraints of school. And so, you know, talk about inappropriate, you know, some churches are and some churches aren't, but we got to talk about it so that we're not grooming more victims. And why do you think why do you think the church stays things. away from yeah, getting down with the nitty-gritty of the community? You know what I'm saying? You know that's community work. Yeah. 
generous community work work. You know what I'm saying? And that's digging down deeper for the root cause. Why you why you think there's so many churches that just won't get involved? Is the leadership doing it? See, we can't ask of a flock. We can't ask of a faith community what the leadership is not willing to do in their own personal life. You know, it's not going to show up um, because if they're not doing that deep dive, if they're not doing, the ex you know, excavating their own trauma mm -hmm. and in therapy and talking about it, how can you present? You know, the same churches that I was that I was on the streets in 96, 97, 98, up into 2008. When I came back in 2020, they still looked the same. Parking lot still undone. Building funds still going on. We yeah. haven't rebuilt. Like, if we're not doing the work as, as spiritual leaders and, and community activists, then personally, then how is it going to show up in my flock? Yeah. Mm. You know, so if I'm not doing the work, then I can't lead you in that. Um, and it takes a lot of courage. There's a church, there's a book by um, Dr. Uh, Kelly Brown Douglas, and it's church and sexuality in the black church. It's just something very taboo. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just wow. something that we don't want to. But it's the, it's the black churches too a lot, you know, a lot of the times too, because of the cultural, we don't talk about that. All right. You know, the, the, the leader is a black man. Or a black woman. We mm -hmm. don't talk about that. We slide that back under mm -hmm. the rug. Yeah. Be quiet. You know, don't you say nothing about that, that man putting his hands on you. Mm -hmm. You stay married to him and you be quiet. You know, because that's just the culture. Yeah. Um, and, that, but, and that stems from the, ha the home, yeah. right? So your question was, how come these, you know, these churches are not stepping in, taking a more active role? Because the, they've been, we've been socialized from starting at, at the house to be quiet on these things. To, mm -hmm. There are some specific topics that we can talk about in church that are wrong, homosexuality, right. adultery, whatever. This other stuff, we haven't been talking about that ever. So why would we take this up now and talk about it? So but, that's why to me, it it's really we have to start in our houses first yeah. and then branch out to the community. Because What's the saying? Mm -hmm. What starts at home? What, what happens stay at home? Right, stays at home. home right. You better not go to church and tell the Sunday school That's teacher. Or, or whatever the pastor is preaching, you better not go. Question. Whatever happened under this church house, don't you get out there, turn around, mm -hmm. and tell nobody either. You know, secrecy. Secrecy. And that's where we need to start changing it. We need. I have these conversations with my nieces and nephews. Who, has anybody ever touched you? Correct. Do you ever think about touching people? Right. And they like. You know, I, my, I, my, my oldest one, let's see, two, he'll be 23, my oldest nephew will be 23 this month, and then the one under him is 21. I would, they, as soon as you hit like 10, 12, 14, all that, have you ever thought, have you ever touched anybody inappropriately? And they're looking at me like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, it happens. Okay, Just, you know, yeah, has anyone ever touched? And yes. then through some of those conversations, we did find out that somebody in our family had been treated inappropriately by somebody outside of the family. I'm like, okay, this is what we need to know. Yeah, yeah. And we need to wreck, this is not okay. Yeah. Oh, we were just playing house, but with, Not only no, that, no, no, no. allow the other children playing to house. see what happens in that, that the child is not in trouble, the other person, they need to witness that. See, because that's that's really carrying the whole message because, you know, once you find out that something has happened, you know what I'm saying, and even if it was outside the family or whatever the case may be, they need to know the information of how that followed up, the follow-up to yes. that. Because, see, that's where the stereotypical shit is dwelling in yes. is the follow-up because they think that, you know what I'm saying, okay, you know what I'm saying, uh, 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 auntie, what's her name, you know what I'm saying, grab my thing, you know what I'm saying, you know, uh, I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. Right. 
But you know what I'm saying? I'm a child, so I'm not going to get in trouble because I ain't going there and say, hey, Auntie, look at this motherfucker right here. You don't grab, grab it, grab it, grab it. No, I didn't do that. Yeah. You know, she grabbed me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So. And is your parent uh, going to support you when you or the per, correct. or the responsible adult? Right. She ain't do that. You but then everybody then it needs to be exposed openly. Right. You know, and everybody need to know That's that that good. happened in the family because like, now like the kids know the information life, so that you better not tell me. I'm gonna tell my mama. We're gonna take a musical yes. break and we'll be right back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I might have caught the producer off guard over there. I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk right here and tell you about. Fishbowl Radio Network all over the world. We got it hands down the best network in the game. I feel so secure when your arms around me, arms around me. To feel your embrace, it warms my heart, warms my heart. And your touch, it keeps my mind at ease. The peace won't last long before the storm. to the throne listen we've been talking about we started to show off today and we talked about uh, 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 addiction then we rolled into um, this whole R. Kelly and how his music and what's behind it and everything and it went back into um, what has happened to him as a child you know what I'm saying and his trauma that he went through as far as being molested or whatever and how it's showing up and why now he's famous and when he had got famous and yada 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 and ongoing ongoing and now we see the results so um i hope people pull a lesson out of that and and take that you know uh, 
there's repercussions for everything, and um, don't don't get stuck in the stereotypes about getting help and therapy and different mm -hmm. things like that because mm -hmm. we carry around so much. You know what I'm saying? I um, I had a show. It was all men panel, and the topic of molestation came up. You know, and I'm transparent on mine. You know, because I was um, tr uh, molested by um, two of my female cousins. And uh, over a period of two years, at the same time, you know what I'm saying, damn near every night, and uh, that took a toll on me, you know. And uh, um, that particular panel that we had, the two of the brothers on there opened up about their experiences for the first time ever, and it was a real emotional show. But it showed something because we had some follow-up shows and conversations about that. It shows that how many men today are are in their presence in families and lives and business and things like that and never had revisited that situation when they were a little boy and, uh, and they were molested, you know. And uh, if they have not experienced that, it's showing up somewhere, somehow in your life. So if you ever question yourself as why I'm doing this or whatever the case may be, you have to ask yourself. It's probably because you haven't dealt with that un unhealed pain. Yeah. Ask me and my experience as far as being molested as a child. Uh, it has showed up in my love relationships. It has showed up in my um, in my in my life for just having. Uh, a woman in my life just to, as a friend, you know what I'm saying, and not shooting for the panties, you know, because, you know, in my mind, before I made some changes or before I got some help, you know, by dealing with it, it was like, you know, I didn't, I never had a woman friend, you know what I'm saying? Everybody was subjected to get to D, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so everybody can get to D, you know. And I'm just being real. I'm an equal opportunity you know? employer. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity employer. <laughs> But I, I got some information and I did some work and uh, not only that, I tapped into the pain I experienced from being mistreated, even in my adulthood, you know. Um, and I experienced some pain, some pain that tells me that, hey, this is the same pain that you're feeling right now that you administered all your damn life. Right. So you just sit in that shit right now, yeah. feel that shit. You know, and pull that, pull a lesson out of that. So, but I had to, I had to fight for me. I had to fight for me in the beginning when I, you know, nine years ago in my journey, you know what I'm saying, that was, a, that was my fight. And I was fighting for me, fighting for my life. And because I didn't want to live like that no more. You know what I'm saying? It's just so much. It's so much. And I was sharing with you before the show, um, nothing but women raised me. And I am a product of that, you know, and uh, it gave me some good tools, but it gave me a whole bunch of bad tools because they were giving me a perspective of how to be the man from their perspective. And they were in dysfunctional relationships. I never seen a healthy relationship or marriage in my family. So they were just giving me information from the dysfunction that they were in or went through. So I couldn't do nothing but administer. No, the only thing I knew how to administer was dysfunction. That was my normalcy, yeah. you know. And um, yeah, it was just it, the the real great part of it is getting to a place in your life where you've dumped all that shit, and then you're looking back over it, yeah. and then you know what I'm saying, uh, yeah, there is a God. Yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't God. control your present, right? Yes. It doesn't 
It doesn't dictate your present. It's a part of no. your past experience. And there might always be remnants of it that impact you, right. but it doesn't control your present. That's, that's, that's the goal. That's healing. That's the goal. And you said something, too, that made me think, and it's really disheartening to me that all of this is conceptualized differently for men, males, whatever the right word is, um, than women. Um, I'm going to bring up this little topic. <clears throat> Rapper, uh, Lil Boosie. Mm-hmm. He had some heat, not a lot of heat, but some heat some time ago, earlier this year, last year, one of the years, um, when he shared that, you know, when his sons come of age, whatever of age is to him, it's not 18, 19, like 13, 14 that, that of age, mm-hmm. he will pay for women to have sexual relations with them as like a rite of passage. Wow. And I'm like, that's right. <laughs> molestation like but we don't see it that way in our culture a lot of times and so when you say like you, you dealing with that trauma sometimes it, it's it's buried even like if that was my experience and that was celebrated how do I even know it's that that's trauma yeah. it's, but it's impacting me still it's impacting the way that I have relationships with women and whomever 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 but I don't even know that it stems from a traumatic experience. Natalie, stay on that right now. Now look at it from this perspective. Now move over a little bit and look at it from a different angle. Because if you look at a diamond from straight on, you know what I'm saying, you're going to see it glimmer a certain way. But if you move to the left, it's going to give you some more colors or whatever the case may be. So here it is. By him paying for a prostitute to come in and lay down with his son, that's a controlled environment. So what is he doing? Maybe he's using that as an angle to teach his son about sex and what, what, what sex is, how it should be performed, and what it is. This is pleasure. Now, with your wife, it could be something different. It could be something else behind that. You know what I'm saying? So there is, is, is it something okay even though it's a child? Under, uh, 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 for, in a controlled in a controlled environment, how that affect the child? I don't know. I'm not a therapist, but that's just something I'm I was just, looking at it from, from a, a different society view. perspective. I'm saying, from that viewpoint, does that mean that it, it is okay or it's acceptable because it's a child? I wouldn't do it. Like I wouldn't do it. Because those girls with the one he peed on was like 14, 15 years. <laughs> 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 so that's what I'm saying. That, that's what I'm saying. That, you get my point what I was saying? You get my point what I was point. saying? But what I'm saying is, so, so and that my, my original point is that we conceptualize it differently from, you know, girls, women, females, yes. to oh. the other. Because, and male bodies, Because yes. if it was your 15-year-old daughter right. that oh. somebody wanted to. You're right. Right. You're right. But if it's, right. if it's your 14, 15-year-old son or right. nephew. Yeah. Yeah, we gonna, then we look at it It's okay to get his nuts out the right. pawn shop. But, but then, we wonder why, then we wonder why these men on the panel right. in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, now they're, for the first time in their life, sharing about and having an emotional experience about a childhood sexual trauma when... But was it a tra- was it was it a teaching experience or and was it trauma? And you're also and, and I don't know the whole story. I don't know little boozy. I don't know his kids. But you're you're for me. You're you're teaching your sons that it's transactional. You're not teaching that intimacy and lovemaking and and that um, that level that comes with you know. And that I action. Think, I don't know that Boosie's teaching. So, Boosie, right, so what I'm saying is, Boosie is, is, is got teach- a, the prostitute to, to have sex with his son. He said that that's what, that's what he would do or going to do or whatever the case may be. And you saying that it's teaching him what? That's that intimacy or sex is transactional. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm older. 
<laughs> I ain't gonna say how old, but I'm older, <laughs> and I know that anytime, and based on my lived experience, anytime that that level of intimacy is something that can be bought and sold, it sets a very uh, maladjusted foundation on, for for what's gonna happen next, right? Then, especially, and again, a huge overgeneralization, especially when so men, our society grooms men more so to look at intimacy as transactional. It's often a power exchange. It's also like, this is what I want and I'm gonna get it. And, uh, and, and that's, that's unhealthy. That's why we have the R. Kelly's in the world. That's why we have these issues because intimacy is often seen as something transactional um, in an economic sense, as opposed to um, the joining of two spirits, two minds, two bodies, um, which is so, obviously so much deeper and more nuanced than paying a prostitute to sleep with your son. Um, let him find love at, at, at when with the little girl, little person at school. Say, girl, he might yeah, not like girls. Let, 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 let it come organically. Yeah. Let them little kids go behind a bungalow and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and let him little finger in first. And, 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 yeah. and let him hide. Remember, remember hide, go get, hide, go get, hide, go get it. Play some hide, go <laughs> get it. You know what I'm saying? And do some hunching or something. You know? Yeah, but let his let something else cause his arousal. Yeah. Yeah. Not his dad's dollar bill. If we want to have a different experience, you know, again, with sexual experiences, intimacy, rape, molestation, and adult men, if we want to have a different experience, I think we have to start having those conversations. And if that is happening, say, is this healthy, though? Like, is this, is this what we want to keep doing? Is it okay? Or are we traumatizing these young men, young boys, whatever, even though we don't look at it that way. We're looking at it from the other side of the diamond. Yeah, the colors are different over here, but is it still a diamond? <laughs> yeah. That part, that part. Because it's interesting, your response when Natalie said if it was your daughter, you were like, yeah. oh, no, no, no. But for, yeah. before a, a young boy, we were like, like let him yeah, get his I'm, rocks I'm, out I'm, the yeah. pawn shop. You know what I'm saying? I'm present in the conversation because, you know what I'm saying? And being present in the conversation, you know, each everything that each one of you queens say, I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm receptive to it. So when when it, when the, when the, when the truth came around, you know what I'm saying, I took my hand. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. You know, saying that you know bad decision, Boosie, bad decision. You know, but trauma um, didn't become. A, you know, we didn't understand trauma for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was something that just wasn't discussed. You know, we didn't talk about it. And then when the the definition came out and mm-hmm. we started talking about it mm-hmm. and people started getting educated about it and then everybody in the world were, oh mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I, my uncle did do that. that yeah. That's trauma. That's oh, why I am the way I am. Traumatized, yeah. you know? Right. So, yeah, trauma yeah. Was, is a new word. Right. How long do you think it's been out now? Maybe about 15, 20, 20 years, 20 years. Like that. Right, yeah. and, and, and then it, it takes longer to get saturated into our communities, mm-hmm. our culture. Yeah. Um, just, I think this might have happened just like three years ago. I asked my mom um, if she grew up with anxiety um, mm-hmm. like me, and she said, I mean, probably, but <laughs> she, she, lived, she was like, I mean, probably, we but no we didn't, space for that. we, we didn't, no space for we that. just lived. We just, yeah. she was like, my, my mom's, both of her parents died before she was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I mean, I probably had depression, yeah. anxiety, everything, but we didn't have, she's, we didn't have those words. We didn't have anything. We just keep living. Yeah. It's like survival mode, right. survival yeah. mode as a people, yeah. um, you put 
you put that conversation about trauma and therapy on the back burner because I'm just trying to make it in America. I'm just right. trying to put food on the mm -hmm. table. I'm just trying to keep this man off my head at the job. Something. And then we, we, you know, get a 40 ounce when we get off work, maybe have some good sex, eat a good mm -hmm. plate of food and start the whole thing again. Because it does hurt. Because we're in I survival mode. I'm hurting, wow. right. but I don't even have time to, to focus on that right. because like, so for my mom's caregiver now, I'm an aunt, I have my own child, but now I have five more kids because mm -hmm. my sister and, and her husband just died and left all these five kids, and so now I got six kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to trauma yeah. and grief yeah. and yeah. anxiety and depression. Uh-uh, yeah. yeah. we gotta feed all six of these kids. And then we you can't know. start today because you, I just got a new therapist a month and a half ago. We gotta go all the way back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, Man, that's the past. Mm -hmm. I don't got time to be going back and looking at Uncle Fred again. I'm sick of Uncle Fred is dead. Uncle Fred passed away in 1986. Right. But, you know, the therapist is going to want to draw you all the way back to that. And for, like, some of my peers, they're like, Vet, I can't do it. I'd rather just be unhealthy right now. I don't want to go back. And so back to the addiction piece. Being complacent. Courage. It takes courage to do this work. Yes. To go back and excavate, especially if you hit my age, like, where you've been around for over half a century, to go all the way back to six? Man, listen. But it's necessary. It's been a good show today, you know what I'm saying? I hate that the chemist coming to an end. And um, I want to thank you for being a guest today. Thank you. you. Know, I want to, yeah, I'm so definitely excited. Thank my co-hosts, you know, that's uh, always on deck, you know. All you guys, um, there's a lot of them out there doing some moving and shaking. And I'm proud of you guys, you know. Um, next week we'll be right here. Natalie will be out. I know that for a fact. I don't know who will be in, but um, we definitely going to be on the throne. If I can... Um, if I can uh, give um, King's last word, and uh, I want to talk about this. 2023 is around the corner. You can see it peaking. So if I want to give you anything today, I want to give you this. As selfish as it may sound, but spend a lot of time this coming year fighting for you. Yeah, fight for you, you know, for a change. Because we can get caught up in the Every day, hustling and bustling of life, and we forget about ourselves, you know, and um, and that shit don't feel good. So if you're gonna fight, fight for you. Fight hard as hell. Tune in next week. We're gonna be right here on the throne. Good luck. Okay, thank you. Damn. I was for yourself. Chat.